Okay, I'd like to start by saying two things. The first is that I can't do justice to the amount of material I've got here in terms of giving you an adequate explanation of what's behind it. Um, if you're interested in particularly the first part, which will be an analysis of the crush, um, I did a webinar on it for AWRI and that's available on our website. And then the second half around the opportunities, uh, we are going to be publishing a market bulletin tomorrow which will talk to that. And if you are not sure about anything, you want more information, you can always come to us at Wine Australia. Um, you can, I'll, I'll give you the details at the end, you can go to our website or contact us directly at, at any time because that's our job is to help you get the best information you can get to help you make these decisions that are not easy. Okay. Uh, so I'm, uh, oh sorry, the second thing I was going to say is, uh, to Robin's question, is this going to be one year, is it going to be two, three, how many is it going to be? We're talking restructuring, we're talking seven years, so these are very different time frames. My personal view and the evidence really is that we are in a short-term acute situation the like of which we have not seen and due to some very evil stars all aligning. But underneath that short-term acute crisis is a longer-term squeeze and they are both relevant. So you do need to think about the long-term as well as thinking about Vintage 23. I do think Vintage 23 can be a one-off if we can handle it right and not perpetuate the oversupply. But behind that, there are still some changes that need to, to come. Okay, but, but to start with this, the crush in 2022 was a reversion to average after 2021. It was, it was actually slightly below average. It was not a big deal in the scheme of things. It was not a, a big problematic vintage. It just came at a bad time. Um, looking at the crush now, oh, um, and again, for perspective, the three large inland regions account for three quarters of the crush and the riverland itself accounts for one in every three tonnes of grapes grown and crushed in Australia each year. So you're a very significant part of the story and the story is you. So whatever is affecting the Australian wine sector is predominantly affecting you. Right, so let's have a look at it. Jumping to... Oh. Oh, no, that one will do. <laughs> Sorry, they're in a different order on my sheet. Um, okay, so what we saw in 2022 was just a continuation of what we've been seeing for 10 years, and that's an increase in the supply of reds. So you can see the trend on the chart there, um, and it's been going since around 2012 when reds and whites were about equal and since then they've been diverging. In 2022, in fact, they came back together a little bit because white did not decrease by as much as reds because we're starting to see the demand signals shift back again. But this has been going for some time and it's not a ship that's going to turn around in one year. So what, what do you see when you look at those two charts? Do they look the same? They look very similar. 
So what you've got there on the left, you've got the change in crush for the top 10 varieties in 2022. You can see obviously the big drop in red and in fact, all, well, in Shiraz and in all the reds in particular, smaller drops in the whites. On the right, you've got the change in export volumes from the year before. So that's the 2021 year. And so what we start seeing is demand signals driving changes in supply. So that as, as the demand for varieties is dropping, then the crush the following year is following suit to some extent. There's obviously lots of seasonal factors at play as well. And then what do you see when you, when you look at this slide? The orange line in the middle is the average value over time um, paid for wine grapes across Australia. So, so the first thing that strikes me is that they've been on the rise since around 2013 and they're still higher than they were back then. The orange obviously dipped in 2021 and 2022, but what caused that was the dip in the reds because the, the orange is the average of the red and the white. And when you look at the white, the underneath line, it's actually continued to rise. And even the reds are still higher, they were still higher in 2022 than they were in 2014. When you break this down a bit more, we can see that it was the commercial regions where the red varieties got hit it was all about reds, it was all about commercial regions. So there on the two taller stacks are the cool temperate regions, basically the other 27% of the sector. Um, and then the two shorter stacks are red and white for the commercial regions. And reds got hit by 30% after being hit by 17% the year before. And just zooming in on that, what you can see there is when you look at the reds on the left, in 2022, the red price dropped below the white price for the first time since 2008, something like that. But the red prices were up there. White prices, they've been staying pretty stable for a number of years. Um, now, we all know what caused this. Wine grape prices are essentially driven by export prices. It's not the other way around. We are takers of price. So here, I, you've probably seen this kind of slide from Wine Australia before, but I'm the one, because I do the vintage survey, I have more of a supply focus. So I tend to like to look at things in terms of color. So that breaks down the prices into red and white. And once again, you can see that the white price has pretty much stayed stable for many years. The red price on that big rise and then um, a relatively large drop at the end. Um, and we all know what caused this. Again, this is the China story broken down into red and white. China took no white, so white has not been affected by the loss of China. But what you can also see is just how steep and short that rise to China was. It was all done and dusted in about two years. There are two, maybe three years of growth in volume, a little bit longer in value, and then it started dropping back. It was dropping back even before the tariffs. And then, of course, it just crashed when the tariffs hit. And that is what has hit our wine grapes. And it is not possible, obviously, for a crop like a grapevine to respond in the time frame that, that that tap was shut off. So what that's created is this short-term 
dramatic supply-demand imbalance for reds only. So there your chart on the left is the reds. The blue line is the, the blue bars are the exports. So they would, they've been declining since 2019. And then the production is the orange. Um, we produced nearly as much here as we did in 2021, but it wasn't a problem then because there was a small global harvest and everyone wanted our reds and China was just kicking off. In 2021, different story. COVID, tariffs, shipping crisis, all coming together on top of a big supply of reds. The big supply of reds in itself wasn't really the problem, certainly not by itself. Whites, meanwhile, quietly chuffing along, not doing any thing dramatic one way or another. And the thing to note about that is there is not dramatic growth in demand for whites. And there isn't a dramatic lack of supply in whites. Whites have been chuffing along stably for 10 years or more. And now we get to the wine story. So this is the wine grape story. If you think the wineries are kidding you, or at least this, you can look at this either way. This, this reflects again the problem with the wine grapes being in oversupply. That when you go and look on the global bulk wine market, Seati prices show you very clearly where that circle is when at that point where red prices dropped. And it's just the point where the tariffs kicked in and Australian red wine prices fell through the floor. And white wine prices meanwhile remained stable, but have a look just now. Even in the, the end towards 2022, they are softening a little bit as well now. And that is a worrying sign. So that's the, that's the supply story, that's what's behind it all. I imagine it's not particularly new, but that kind of analysis is, is really important to see you know, where we go with this. So now looking at, oh, sorry, I forgot this one. Just again, to underline this, what you've got here, the top line is the bulk wine price for Chardonnay at the moment, sitting pretty stable. If I translate the commercial price for Chardonnay from dollars per ton into cents per litre, it sits on this line. So that gap is the amount of money available for the winery to turn the grapes into wine, put them in some kind of package, put them on a ship and get them to market. With the reds, as you can see, with that dramatic fall in the wine price, there is now almost no margin between last year's average grape price for commercial reds and the bulk wine price, which is why it's not sustainable and it's not, even now it's already dropping and, and, and the wine grape that was paid last year can't afford to be paid unless there's already a customer because on the bulk wine market, the wineries can't afford to sell it at these prices. All right, so what is the opportunity for commercial wine grapes? And I was asked to talk about whites. And I'll talk about whites. Um, first of all, looking at the red wines, uh, again, this is sort of similar to what I've shown you before, but if you look at the, these are the top five varieties. What strikes you most on that slide?
Yeah. Yes. We are almost a one-trick pony, aren't we? The, this is commercial wines at below $5 a litre. So it's approximately corresponds to inland wine. If you're shifting of ch thinking of shifting varieties, the exports of Pinot Noir and Petit Verdot, which are the next two, are, are vanishingly small. I mean, you, you could triple their production and you would barely replace the loss of Shiraz from the one year. Exports of red wine in total dropped 90 million litres in financial year 22 compared with 2019. That's about 130,000 tonnes. You wouldn't, if you, I think, haven't checked it, but to replace all of that with Pinot and Petit Verdot would be probably tripling production. Um, the whites... Now, you've actually got a similar story here. <laughs> We're a one-trick pony on Chardonnay, which is not too bad. Chardonnay's not doing too badly at the moment. The really good thing about Chardonnay is it's the, well, it's the US's favourite wine of ours, Chardonnay and Cabernet. They're not keen on Shiraz, but Chardonnay and Canada they're keen on. The US is still a good market for reasons I don't have time to go into at the moment, but that's a good thing about Chardonnay. But... If you were looking at replacing your reds with a white, what would you choose? More Chardonnay or one of the others where exports are pretty small? Now, this next slide is awesome. And my boss, Peter, gets the credit for this. And he's done a lot of analysis of markets of opportunity. And he's looked at um, IWSR data, so global data around sales and projected growth and things like that. And what these bubbles are showing you, along the bottom is their rank according to how much they grew in the last five years. So if they're over here, that's good because they've been growing a lot. This one is how much they're expected to grow in the next five years. So you would obviously want to be in that top quadrant, okay? But the size of the bubble is the size of the market. So unfortunately, for the, for the commercial wines at below $5, most of the markets that are growing are pretty small. And this is our sort of sweet spot where we think we need to play with market opportunities. And that's what our marketing team will be looking to do for commercial wine. It's a tricky one. If we can increase our percentage share of a number of these markets by three whole percentage points, which is quite a lot, you've got to take that from someone else or grow the market, that would be 22 million litres. And if you remember, I said that we've, we're down about 125 million litres. So 22 is barely going to scratch the surface. The other thing I think, it is still an opportunity for growth though, but the other thing that's really important to note is most of these markets are very red dominant. This is the share of red in each of our main commercial wine opportunity markets. And so apart from Japan, which is keen on white and sparkling, most of them are predominantly red. So, you know, red should be coming back into these markets. There's a long story we can continue on, on that as well, and it's nuanced in different ways. And as I said, there is a market bulletin coming out tomorrow on those markets. Just briefly by comparison, this is a worrying trend. The big markets here that are in the top quadrant, they're, they're good. They're the UK and the US. But here, for the commercial ones, 
they're showing very, very little opportunity. All the opportunity for those markets is in the above $10, right? And then a couple of other considerations. If you're thinking about white wine, at the moment, global white wine prices are softening as well. Um, there is no evidence of a strong shift in consumer demand towards whites. We're not seeing it. We're seeing lots of consumer shifts. Mostly they are away from wine, but they're certainly not consistently towards whites. Um, demand for Prosecco in export markets could well be affected by the latest decision, which is that New Zealand will no longer accept Prosecco from us under the name Prosecco under the terms of its FTA with Europe. So that comes in about the next five years. So will that affect our ability to sell Prosecco if we have to call it clearer? I would think so. And the other thing is if we sign an FTA with Europe, we may end up with even more problems around the use of the term. So that's something to think about. And now I've heard a story about Vermentino, which I don't know if that's going in the same direction, but it was talking about the same thing. And finally, Sauvignon Blanc has been popular in the last 12 months, but as a word of caution, New Zealand had a very low harvest in 2021. And so they couldn't fulfill all their export commitments. We, we all know, yeah, 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 everyone loves New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. The US can't get enough of it. It costs a fortune on global supply markets. It's about $3.60 on the global market, the same market that we're 59 cents. But this year, they've had a record crush of 500-odd thousand, which for them is about a 30% increase. So any lack of stock of theirs no longer exists. So we have to have a sustainable demand for our Sauvignon Blanc, which I think is there. I, I think it's coming. But it, in the export markets, we probably had a little bit of a, an easy run, and it will not be as easy in future, depending on what their next harvest is. So I'm afraid those are kind of words of caution for you because of this sort of longer-term squeeze. So in the longer term, obviously anything like changing a variety is a longer-term decision. In the longer term, commercial wine is reducing in volume for a lot of demographic reasons. Um, younger consumers are not drinking as much, and what they're drinking is higher value. Um, and, and, and all the main markets that we're used to, like the US and the UK and Canada, are all declining in volume. So there is this long-term squeeze. Last time it was here, we had China to replace it. Do we have something else to replace it? Well, not yet. So it is something to think about. Something I do think you can consider, though, is premiumization. And that doesn't mean, you know, go off and make a Barossa Shiraz. Not at all. But it, moving up any price category is a good thing because basically the higher the price category, the more the growth. And there's a sweet spot around $10 US that is a good price category to get into. And the other thing about the wine that's made here or the opportunity for you is that sparkling wines and the mixed wine products and the lighter reds and the no low alcohol wine, they all lend themselves to your sort of variety profile and your sort of cost model. They don't lend themselves to, you know, a Barossa model that where the grapes cost $2,500 a ton. It's just you can't turn that into an affordable no-low-alcohol wine or a spritzer that young people want to drink. So I think there are some opportunities, but it's important to be realistic that 
while I believe that this current oversupply is short term, our underlying supply demand is a bit lower than where we're at now and it's likely to continue to get squeezed. So if we can get past next year, we have to look at sort of 10% reductions. Not so massive, but something. Not growth. Not in volume terms. I don't think I need to spend time on this because I'd rather get Jim up here. Um, but that, that's just a summary and um, if Lyndall's passing out slide packs later then you can have that. And I'll hang around afterwards too to take questions. Don't forget our website.